0: hello my friends and welcome back to idle chatter i'm your host ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer that guy from cat swamp road that dry land farmer trying to raise sweet corn here right i guess the operative word in that sentence is trying but honestly uh my last few my last three plantings actually look pretty good and uh thank god as i said on the radio show farm machinery digest radio that it's amazing what heat and rain does but we all know that as farmers anyway so i want to thank you so much for joining me today got a couple of different things that we're going to uh that i'd just like to go over with you and then i'm going to talk about building an engine all right about building an engine or rebuilding an engine or building an engine there is a difference between rebuilding and building within the community so when you're when you're building an engine you're usually looking to modify some components of it or some area of it when you're rebuilding it you're looking at to bring it back to stock so i will explain that and hopefully not be too long-winded and uh this will be the second uh with this week or post the second extended length version of the hot rod farmer minute so i'm going to ask you guys to please reach out to me i know you're busy i know it's a burden it's hot rod farmer farm machinery and don't tell me what you what you think i want to hear i want to give you content that is going to bring value to you and that you want to listen to <clears throat> Because if no one wants to listen to it or they don't like it or what have you, so I just want this is the only the second extended length version. I think I read this one a little bit better than I did the first one, but whatever. So, you know, let me know, please. Uh, so you could just say, if I get an email from you, right, and it says. Thumbs up or thumbs down, right? Then I know, uh or thumbs up with an explanation or what have you. But I would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you don't have the inclination to do that, I certainly understand that. All right, understand that 110%. I have a little bit of correction that I have to make in the show today based upon my Raptor episode last week, the road testing of the 700 horsepower Raptor. Uh, two listeners, John up in John Arts up in British Columbia, and uh, Gene Worst out in Nevada, very nicely corrected me or added a little content, and in my head and I and they're hundred percent correct. Well, when the Raptor first, well, to Gene Worst's credit, when the Raptor first came out, and I think that was around 2011 or 2012 i'm um, didn't i did not i was not able to confirm that at this particular point but it's moot it came out with two different body styles a an extended cab and a four-door but more importantly it came out with the six point i believe it was the 6.2 liter that new ford engine and i i think they were going to call that the hurricane but then that hurricane sandy hit or something and they would i saw i forgot what they it was not the godzilla 7.3 so it was a v8 and that truck at that particular point had the steel body not the aluminum body because in my mind i was thinking aluminum body v6 echo boost engine i didn't go back that far and gene corrected me on that and uh <clears throat> and say that's, that's what it's all about you know, we're a team here, all of us, all of my listeners, we're a team. If I state something wrong or incorrectly or not, you know, like half right and half wrong, all right, then please reach out to me, never, ever be, I mean, I welcome that, right? because it's all about learning and I learn from you. And what Gene also told me was that when Ford, I think before that truck came out or whatever, around when it came out, the original V8 Raptor, normally aspirate, that the Ford engineers drove it from Michigan to the Baja, either 500 or 1,000, and I wasn't sure about that, and then drove it back to Michigan. So that shows how bulletproof that truck is. You could do an off-road race for between 500,000 miles and drive it 6,000 miles also, right? And then uh, that shows the quality and the engineering behind it. And then And, and then John told me, that his dad had one of the original Raptors, and he also, you know, uh, corrected me very nicely uh, that it did have a 6.2 liter V8 in it. So my thought process, I'm not saying, look, I <clears throat> guilty with an explanation, I'm not even saying it, but my thought process was comparing this Raptor against the aluminum, because this is aluminum when they redid the df-150 a few years ago that which and they did did away with the 6.2 and came out with the um echo boost 3.5 in there so i want to thank you two gentlemen for correcting me on that and enlightening me because i did quasi misre- misrepresent that in the show and i apologize for that and the second thing that i want to make a slight correction on i don't know if any of you uh, well i shouldn't say i don't know because i could probably look at i can't look at who's listening but i could look at a, whatever uh, there's some metrics that are available for downloads but they're not 100 percent right because it depends where you download it from but whatever but anyway so the thing basically is is that uh i did my third episode of on the road to faith and uh i do not know whether anyone is listening i'm um, i'm not laughing anyone is listening to it or not but if you did listen to it i spoke about the battleship alabama in there and my and my friend gene worsty and i have a visit to the battleship alabama on a uh, coming back home from a road trip out west with my new skyhawk at the time when i was a young guy i was a kid all right i worked hard on i'm not bragging i worked hard on the farm worked hard fixing cars going to school and i bought my first new car ninety two hundred dollars brand new i don't even think it was 90, maybe yeah maybe 92 with the tax and license plates cash money no loan right cash money on the barrel head ordered it there was uh, when i came home from ordering it i was actually shaking i never spent ninety two hundred dollars in my life but it was a wonderful wonderful car and i'm so glad that i did it all right but anyway uh so a couple of things i had said that i thought that so to get back to it in that episode of on the road to faith episode three i mentioned the battleship alabama to get back on track and i said on that she had seven battle stars and then after i recorded that somebody told me that she may have had 13 battle stars but then i looked it up and on the website for the uss alabama if you ever get a chance go to that website and you could see her she's gorgeous and uh and she had nine battle stars so she was in nine battles of consequence and i have some interesting facts about her that i did not include in that and uh, now this jogged my memory but that really wasn't the focus of that podcast on the road to faith it's about trusting in god but anyway so she had two nicknames and she was uh, they called her the mighty a for alabama and she was bb60 and she also ha- was nicknamed the heroine of the pacific and she was built in norfolk virginia in 1940 so she was only in the war for three years but she was in nine battles she was she is a, and that was because she exists beautifully thank god and she's a she's a south dakota class battleship and interestingly enough which i did not remember from my visit there back many many years ago when i was a young man repeating that again right that the alabama my beloved uss alabama she led the american fleet into tokyo bay for the surrender of japan so she was the head ship going into Tokyo Bay, so I could just imagine what that was like, having this whole flotilla of American exceptionalism floating into Tokyo Bay, and my beloved Alabama was uh, the headship there, and uh, I, she's my beloved because I went to go see her, and uh, they're all, all my beloved, so that I want to apologize if I had that battle stars wrong but she was in nine battles not seven and afterwards i thought it was 13 but that was wrong also so so that is it right that's what it is he rents races on pencils no excuses and i want to give a big big cat swamp road shout out and i want to give i want to wish charlotte and i want to wish the lord's blessings on justin foresee and his wife abby because they got married a few weeks ago and i was very blessed that justin sent me his photo well send me a link to the photos a beautiful beautiful photos beautiful wedding gorgeous wedding and uh and so and uh, i want to just wish charlotte and i want to wish you justin all the best with your life with your new beautiful bride abby and Justin is going to be, God willing, in, in the near future, a guest on the On the Road podcast. Yes, I have to think of a better way of saying that on, on the road. Uh, <laughs> but that changes set and structure around. And very interesting, he has a strong passion for agriculture, and, uh, but he is actually an attorney by trade. So he's an he's a attorney by trade that loves agriculture and plants quite a large garden. And, but his family has roots, his grandmother has roots uh, down in Alabama also. So we're getting back to Alabama raising cattle. And there was something about that I'm not going to share now, but when we do his part, when we do his episode of On the Road, I'm going to have him give us more detail about the lining of the jacket that he wore uh, to get married to his love, Abby. So we wish them all the best. And then Mike Werner from caledonia minnesota is going to be the next episode of on the road so that's going to be recorded hopefully this week just about when you when this show drops and i'm um, very excited about that and mike has a a wonderful wonderful story of faith and uh struggles and trials and 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 just being triumphant over them but i also charlotte and i also want to wish mike's daughter uh blessings as she is getting married and i believe it it is it is this week so like i say i try not to date stamp things because god knows when you listen to them. but i believe it's the saturday before i'm going to record with mike and so may our lord bless and keep her and her new husband and who mike had told me and we'll learn more about it that he is an engineer mechanical engineer for a company that makes robotic uh, uh dairy milkers so that is very very interesting but i'm looking forward to mike and mike is also beta testing for me he's going to be the first person using the new road headset through his uh apple iphone i think that's what he said yep apple iphone that he has so hopefully god willing the audio comes out well but mike uh congratulations on the wedding of your daughter and then in justin and abby may our lord bless and keep you in your new marriage together and uh so let me see what else i want to tell you oh uh if you listen to the radio show you heard this but i was taking our one of our cats uh, i was gonna call her abby no that's justin's wife uh Allie. Allie, Allie the alligator and the reason why we call her the alligator, because when we adopted her, she was a tiny little kitten. Instead of she would eat like an alligator, like she would lunge forward and bites into it. Just so if you see the way an alligator bites something, that's as you could just imagine a little kitten. So that's how she got she got the name Allie. I said you eat like an alligator, and an Allie the alligator. But it was taking her to the vet. Um, she had to get a um, a shot. I forgot what I think was feline distemper or leukemia or something and um she couldn't get all the shots before because last because she was pregnant so uh so but she's spaded now and everything well our animals are spaded just we couldn't get her in time but that's a whatever you know that story but anyway, uh, but she did bless us with wonderful kittens, and we kept all the kittens, so we have a house full of cats because of that, and it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing to have that. But anyway, so I was taking it to the vet, and I am like a, oh God, I'm, I'm you. If I, you know, you know, if you listen to my shows, that I wear my heart in my sleeve, and animals are my kryptonite. I've said this to you before, that if that if if you want to get me on my knees, it's animals. <laughs> so uh, so I'm I'm like a, a, a nervous nervous Nelly uh, father transporting these cats back and forth to the vet whenever they have to go. And the vet, tranquility vet clinic is wonderful. Doctor Christensen there and his team, only really about five miles away from the farm. Beautiful, beautiful setting on a on on a gorgeous thousand acre farm or so but uh beautiful but anyway so but i'm a nervous nelly because i'm always afraid that something's going to happen and the cat's going to get out of the carrier or get into an accident or flat tire and the cat i just i'm a nervous nelly i'm a basket case Going, <laughs> going taking the animals to the vet even though it's a couple of miles away but uh, and the carriers we have i uh, we they're very very we have three of them uh beautiful carriers i mean they're high they're beautiful carriers they're soft-sided they have the lockable zippers on them so it's everything is for security and comfort for the cat but anyway so i have Allie in the car and i always have to get a for our cats I always have to have the first thing in the morning appointment otherwise they're disappearing into the woods or the cornfields and you're not getting them so anyway ali stayed out all night she did not want to come in, and she disappeared, but she came home at 7.30. Her appointment was 8 o'clock, so we put her in the carrier in the car. I'm going down Route 517, and you probably knew you would have heard this if you listened to the radio show. And the traffic is backed up. I said, oh, God, and I said to myself, you know, there's no reason for this traffic to be backed up unless there was an accident or probably if an animal got, got hit. And so I said to myself, something said to myself, said to my soul it's a bear and i said to myself oh it's hopefully it's not a bear or a deer and uh well anyway it was this gorgeous big beautiful healthy black bear and uh, he got hit by a chevy van thank god i didn't hit him with ali in the car i would have been as i said in the radio show if you heard this before i would have been a basket case for the rest of my life literally literally i would not be doing a show today that'd be a basket case it'd be like superman being surrounded with kryptonite and i'm no superman but the animals are my kryptonite and uh he i'd have to say he was at least 700 pounds and i'm hoping that it was a a a boy a a male and not a female with cubs but terrible i mean what a beautiful beautiful big healthy looking big paws i mean I, i terrible terrible and the guy was standing in the road and uh you could see he was quite flustered by it he was on the cell phone and there was no use for me to stop at that but to your point because uh the police run its way but there was terrible terrible uh this to see that this to see that poor animal that poor bear and uh laying in the road like that uh terrible terrible so uh what are you going to do? I guess that is the way of the way of life. I think I covered everything with you. It's the circle of life, but I don't think the circle of life that the good Lord intended the circle of life to be ended by a Chevy van. And uh, I'm not saying it's the person's fault who hit him. I'm sure the bear ran out of no ran out ran out of nowhere. They're famous for that. They're not very good as far as waiting on the side of the road. They're used to being so large and doing what they want but they don't realize that a vehicle is larger than they are. So terribly, terrible heartbreak uh, over that. So let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about building an engine slash rebuilding an engine. So the thing is that, and this was prompted, uh, this episode or this talk today was prompted by a couple of uh, people that reached out to me. One is a friend and uh, Lives locally, and I believe that he listens. I think he listens inconsistently. Rich Smichinski, uh, good guy, You've known him for a number of years and uh, probably, probably 30, maybe not 30 years, 25 years, 20 something years, right? 25 years, time flies by. And um, so one was prompted by him, but actually through his daughter, uh, Rebecca. Who I am interested in having doing an on the road podcast with her also. So whoever reaches out to me, you gotta be, you gotta be careful because you end up on the road podcast, and um, only if the person is interesting. And uh, but anyway, so to make a long story short, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna confuse it with details. But Rebecca has an auto repair shop, and uh, whatever, we'll leave it. That will save the rest of it for her episode of On the Road. And she has a, uh, she bought it, I think it was a 1979 Ford. I saw it uh, over at the shop. It was. It's either a 250, I think it's a 250. It must be a 250 or a 350. I think it's a F-250, uh, three-quarter ton with a 400M in it. It was a four-wheel drive truck. It was raised up a little bit. I think it was from Oregon. And she wants to redo the engine. All right. And then another listener uh, to either the podcast or radio show a couple of weeks ago reached out to me. So this is, I guess it's like uh, engine time. You know, we're going to redo and en- Well, I'm not saying it that way. But I had, and I had another person reach out to me. And, and uh, <clears throat> there was three or four different people. Asking me questions to different levels, and that was the impetus for this podcast episode. So, first of all, so let's start out with rebuilding an engine. And I've done I've done an episode on rebuilding an engine a while back, earlier on in the show. I'm going to take a little bit of a different twist on this show today, uh, because we are posting the older episodes. But the thing is that when you rebuild an engine and I don't care whether it's, for, whether it's for a farm tractor, whether it's for a chainsaw or whatever, is that I don't even really like the word rebuild because I think it's very misleading, but I didn't make up the English language or I didn't make up the nomenclature that we use in the auto industry. But when you rebuild an engine, it is because it it, it wore out. I mean, that's, what you're, that's what's supposed to happen all right just like if you get a knee replacement you don't get a knee replacement because you want a new knee you need because your old one wore out so the engine wore out to certain to, to some extent either the ring package wore and it's using oil low on compression or it, uh, the oil pressure is low because the bearings are worn or whatever or so the thing is that it's showing sign of age and it and at that particular point is different signs of age so for instance I i parked my escort years ago i mean she ran beautifully she was fine at 400 i think for just under five hundred thousand miles but she succumbed to rust now if i would have taken that engine apart for some reason all right then yeah I mean, is there going to be wear inside i'm sure there's going to be some level of wear like anything but it wasn't it it wasn't using any oil it wasn't smoking it wasn't doing anything wrong rust that succumbed to rust but anyway so at that particular point there would have been no no reason to rebuild that engine right using the term that i hate but in essence when we talk about an engine that's tired and we want to keep it in service for some we want to keep in service, then we need to go because you have to look at the rings, the piston rings, the bearings, the seals, all right, uh, the crank bearings, rod bearings, uh, the valve job to a certain extent is all considered a consumable and and it's meant to eventually wear. So even you say, well how's it? well, the valve job wears because what happens is the valves are constantly, for God knows how many times pounding against the seats as they close and and having this violent operation uh opening and closing and if you ever and uh through high speed photography i don't want to go off too much on a tangent but there's something called a uh spintron and i was blessed to do some work with them uh bob fox who owns uh uh what the heck is the name of the Piston Company? Jeez, I forgot the name of the Piston Company. That's not good. And uh, Diamond, Diamond Pistons actually invented the run. And about 10, well, my father was still alive. So about 13 years ago, I had the opportunity to do some work with him and uh, go out to the facility there in Troy, Michigan. But anyway, uh, but through high-speed photography, you could actually see uh, the valve actions. And Bob, was Bob Fox was the... Um, the innovator of that and for all you race car fans you nascar fans specifically nascar but also drag racing one of the largest uh i would have to say the spintron invented and you could look up spintron do an internet search all right you probably even see my article uh but the spintron uh is probably single-handedly uh responsible for the large gains in Horsepower that we've seen in all forms of motorsports, and the large gains in reliability uh, of of race engines, specifically something that's an endurance engine like a a, a NASCAR engine or a Daytona five hundred or an Indy car engine, what have you. So the Spintron is single-handedly uh, responsible for those gains. By allowing to look at valve train action in a way that we've never looked at before in the industry, and I'll leave it at that. All right. So, uh, so when you go, so the valves, you know, they're pounding, everything, they're wearing out. None of this stuff is meant to last forever. All right. And uh, but it's usually the engine of taking care of it. Anything, whether it's a farm, any type of road vehicle, is is will usually outlast the body right so if it's taken care of but there are times when you need to rebuild and usually you are changing these consumables so the thing basically is under a rebuild you're going to change the consumables that are worn and then you're going to put new parts you're not putting a new block lots of times you're not putting a new crankshaft you're not putting new connecting rods but the part that people the mistake that people make is they do not do any machining on the crank and the connecting rods and the cylinder head that they do is they slap a set of rings in it a set of bearings in it and they call it a rebuild well that certainly is not a rebuild all right so that's like saying well i went to medical school for two days so i must be a doctor now that is not a rebuild okay whatsoever so once you get into the rebuild there's all different levels of rebuilding a proper rebuild and i'm going to move away from that because i want to get into the into the building an engine what we call is that you would measure up the crank you would probably cut the crank you would uh, put do it overboard. Put do pistons. You would resize the connecting rods, both the small and big end. You would <clears throat> change the consumables in the cylinder head, depending upon the design. Uh, so do so. Basically, in essence, on a proper rebuild, the crankshaft and connect the so part, the rotate part of the rotating and reciprocating assembly, the crankshaft and connecting rods would be would be gone through and remachined to to proper size there would be new pistons in it all right because there would be an overbore and then everything in the cylinder head that was that was a consumable and moved would be replaced so basically in essence in a proper rebuild you have a used block used cylinder head castings a a massaged i'll say crankshaft and resized and massaged connecting rods all right and then the other things are new and what happens is in a rebuild uh people cheap out because to do it right like anything in life costs a lot of money all right well that, that's still good the push rods are still good all right the lifters are still good that's still good well the bores don't look so bad we'll reuse the pistons or we'll just put new rings on it and that's fine i mean if you want to do that that's fine i call that a taxi cab rebuild that's a term that i that I coined, but that certainly is not a rebuild. <clears throat> that's like a person who takes a carburetor apart and puts a new accelerator pump and a new, a new gaskets between the float bowl and the throttle body, depending upon the carburetor design, doesn't do anything, doesn't adjust anything, doesn't doesn't replace in, anything. And I rebuilt the carburetor. It's a rebuilt carburetor. Well, no, it's a regasketed carburetor. It's not rebuilt. All right, so that's. Um, Whatever, all right, but and and that's what happens is that and the industry is ripe to take advantage of the consumer and 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 by saying, well, here's your rebuilt engine, Mr. Jones, right? And it's a ring job and some bearings, and that's basically it. And it falls under the guise of rebuilding, and it's also ripe for the for the uh, consumer to take advantage of the engine shop but and how they take advantage of it because if you come to Ray's engine shop I tell you well to go through that engine properly it's going to do anything it's going to cost four thousand to forty five hundred dollars all right which is probably about right I, mean, I may not be up on the current prices right now and uh but that's probably very close to being right, if not right. And they goes forty five hundred dollars. I saw in the magazine. I get a rebuilt engine for seventeen ninety five. All right. Well, <laughs> well, you get a steak in Denny's for six dollars, or you could go to well, maybe not six dollars anymore, twenty dollars, or you could go to uh, Roots, Chris, and pay one hundred fifty dollars for a steak. Right? They're both called steaks and then there was a a place i went to in florida when i was at commodity classic i met a guy i know he's a farmer down in maryland and and uh i forgot the name of the place and uh he wanted to go there, I mean, we had a $200 Wagyu, a $300 ragu, Wagyu steak, it was pretty good, but it wasn't worth $300, well, it wasn't quite 300 the meal was three. I think it was $600 for the both of us, and I'm not in, into that stuff, but he's a good guy, and he was really anxious to go there, and I wasn't going to stick him with the bill, so I said to him, I'll pay half, and and when Never again will I spend $250 or $300 for a steak dinner. But anyway, but whatever, but they're both steaks. So that's where that game is played. So let's forget about that. Of course, these people, a couple of them that spoke to me, uh, were interested in building an engine, not rebuilding an engine, building an engine. So now when you're building an engine, That means you're looking to modify it. That's what it means. You say, I'm going to build an engine. So within the hot rod community, you say, I'm building this. Who built that engine, right? You ask, right, you're looking to modify an engine. You're not looking just to bring it back to stock specifications to whatever level. If it's the $4,000 rebuild of the 1990, that's fifteen ninety five. million. jc whitney who's out of business special all right so you're looking to to modify this engine and historically when you look to modify an engine you're looking for more horsepower that's what i want more horsepower i want this i want that right so the thing basically that's what you're looking for but the thing is that and what i tell people and I said this all along when I had my engine shop, because you get all these tire kickers to come in, right? I want to do this, I want to do that. And, the, and, and you have to be realistic with yourself. And there's a number of things that you have to identify. Well, the first thing that you need to identify is you have to recognize and you have to assign a budget for yourself. All right, because honestly, if you if you want to build build an engine, right, some sort of, performance engine i don't care if it's going in a john deere tractor and you have a budget of four thousand dollars or five thousand dollars or probably even ten thousand dollars depending upon the engine all right if it's a four-cylinder volkswagen or maybe you could do that for that is that you're pipe dreaming it's like me going into roots chris steakhouse and and telling them that it's uh you know why is this why is the steak two hundred dollars when it, i could get it in denny's for twenty five dollars and that does not make you a bad person please hear my words I will repeat it it does not make you a bad person it means that what you were desirous of is more costly than you were willing to invest in it and there's nothing wrong with that I mean hey you know I would love a brand new Cadillac or something but I'm not going to spend sixty seventy thousand dollars for a car all right so that's it so so that's so it's, it's more than I want to spend. And it's not a reflection on your resources. It's not a reflection on how much money you have or don't have. It's more than you want to spend. So the first thing that you need to do is you need to identify what you're willing to invest in this and because your number is lower than the reality number that does not make the shop a bad guy either no one's a bad guy here you want to buy a tractor right you go to the to the to the the tractor dealer and you think that tractor should be eighty thousand dollars and you find out it's four hundred fifty thousand dollars now you don't come out of there oh my god this guy's a crook no it's you weren't aware of it so the first thing is you have to assign yourself a realistic budget and then what you need to do is assign a realistic budget and take one-third of that budget and add it one-third at least one-third more and that's probably in most instances where you're going to come out all right so if you say if you have a budget of ten thousand dollars then you have to be able to say to yourself well i'm really i have a budget of ten dollars but if I have to, I could push this to 13,000 because that's, re- that's reality. And if you come in at 10 or 11 or 9,500, God bless you, you're one, all right? The second thing is you have to decide, you have to define what you're trying to accomplish with building this engine. And I don't care whether it's for a truck, or car, or a, the a, a and track, whatever it may be, but you're looking to get more power. I'm repeating. That's why we're building an engine. We're looking to make it better, to modify it to some particular level. You may modify a 300 horsepower engine to 400 horsepower, or you may take an engine that was 400 horsepower and try to make 12 or 1300 horsepower out of it. So, and the other thing, keep in mind: the more horsepower you want to make, the more the more money it's going to cost. That's it. Forget about it. that's intrinsically linked. You're not building a people to go, that guy making two thousand horsepower. That engine's probably two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. All right, you got twenty five thousand dollars, buddy. You aren't making two hundred two thousand horsepower. So, I mean that's the reality of it, all right? So i think the thing is that you have to define your goals. Now as you define your goals, then all right, what what your goal is all right the thing is that we're going to revisit this in a second that you have to define and you have to be realistic with yourself because if you do not have definition going into this i've never seen it turn out good in all my years it always turns out badly do i mean by badly either the customer is mad he's disappointed he spent a lot of money that's like going to the dealership and buying a new car and saying oh, i only want three wheels i don't want four wheels i don't know I I i'm buying that new truck i want three wheels i don't want four wheels I'm gonna lay on the rim it doesn't work nobody's ever happy no nobody wants that all right but so you so you define that and then you define your goals and you need to be realistic with yourself how much babysitting are you willing to do with this? All right. Uh, you know, what are you going to use it for? I, you know, uh, I'm a, I just want to go to a cruise night with it. Well, if you just want to go to a cruise night with it, you need 2,000 horsepower. I mean, and then, and you also have to be realistic, realistic with your level of not only commitment to it, but your skill sets doesn't you may be a doctor all right you may be the most wonderful brain surgeon in the world that doesn't mean you could adjust valves on a big block chevy all right <laughs> sort of thing based. and maybe you can and i'm not saying you cannot learn but you have to define your level of commitment and commitment is also learning all right so if you say no i want to have this engine i want to learn how to adjust the valves i'm going to learn how to adjust the valves cuz i got I, I i have this cam in here then the valves need to be adjusted every 1000 miles all right so the thing basically is i'm not saying that you can you can't learn that i'm not saying you i mean some people honestly can't learn it because they don't have the the uh the mechanical finesse, the mechanical skills. The guy may be a wonderful, whatever, dentist or something, whatever. So I don't know, but you have to be honest with yourself. And that comes with maturity that you can't be, I want to be a fireman. I want 10,000 horsepower, right? And you guys know how to change to even check the oil, right? So the thing is that, and you can do that. You can have that if you're uber wealthy then you just pay everybody to do everything and you have a, and i know people like that and they don't know how to gap a spark plug but they got a, a, a whole stable full of two three thousand horsepower cars the guy couldn't even put air in a tire but if you're in that demographic god bless you then what you need to basically do is set up the groundwork to have somebody like a curator of a museum and i mean just like a museum gets a curator to take care of this these cars for you all right so you got to be realistic you got to be mature with it and you have to say how much am i going to drive this car i have people contact me well you know i want to put a i got this whatever 67 Impala whatever and the uh, I want, to, I want to put overdrive transmission in because I want to, you know, it uh, attacks too high on the highway. And da, da, da. well, the thing basically is, didn't it attack too high on the highway 50 years ago when it was brand new to people on the overdrive then? And I'm not against overdrive transmissions, but you have to take and look at it realistically and say, okay, fine, you're going to put an overdrive uh Trends in that you're gonna have to 700R4, uh, it happened to be Chevy, right? 700R4 uh, or an AOD4 or whatever it may be. All right, uh, you're gonna have to worry about getting the mounts right. You have to worry about getting the drive shaft right, that the drive shaft angle right, the pinion angle, all of that right. Is the starter gonna bolt up? If you want to do that, but then I would say to the person, well, how much you plan on driving this car? here I plan on driving it 500 miles a summer. Well. At 500 miles, whatever, 2,000 miles a year on it, 5,000 miles a year. And it doesn't pay to go through all of that. It, it does not pay to go. I cannot make a rational business case for you to spend $10,000 to put an overdrive transmission with well, you say 8,000 or so, whatever, six, whatever it may be, and go through all the potential pitfalls, the fabrication, the drive shaft and everything, because you're going to drive it 500 miles a year and you want to get the RPM down. But that is your decision. That's not my decision. I can only tell you, I can only tell you technically that I don't think that that's a worthwhile investment. And you better make sure that you do that whole conversion correctly. Otherwise, it's going to come back and bite you. And it bites very, very hard. All of these things bite very hard if you do it wrong. All right. So be realistic with yourself. All right. How are you gonna use the vehicle? Whatever the vehicle may be the engine, what are you gonna do it, how much use are you gonna put on, right? Be realistic with yourself. Have your budget set, all right? Your level of commitment, your level of learning. All right, are you gonna you you don't don't build something and tell me, oh man, I gotta buy high test and now five dollars a gallon. well, you know, that like I said, ninety-nine percent of the problems or oh, let me drop that number down 95% for me being in the industry are all in from the consumer. The engines are never a problem. I mean, worst case scenario. This block's things. We had a new, different block. Okay, fine. It's always with the consumer because they consume. I mean, I'm not saying that the engine shops are perfect and they, there's nobody out there that rips people off or does a lousy job. I'm not saying that. I mean, that's the reality. Just like there's bad doctors, there's bad engine guys, there's bad everything, bad cops. But the fact of the matter is, is that the 90 percent, 90, whatever you want to say, 80 percent is because the consumer's expectations are wrong or they say one thing and when push comes to shove down there's a guy who buys an exercise machine and says i'm going to look like charles atlas or a lady who buys it i'm going to look like a playboy bunny that by next summer in my bikini and they use it to hang clothes all right so the thing is that that the majority of those problems occur because the the consumer the owner of the engine is got pie in the sky and doesn't or doesn't want to make a commitment to it all right he thinks because he's writing a check that that's his commitment it's like buy, it's like buying a seat on the on the plane to go to florida and think you own the plane or the airline all right so you have to make a commitment to it you have to have realistic goals you have to do all that but then now let's talk about the design of the engine once you have all of this together then you could start to work on orchestrating with this with a shop that knows what they're doing and every shop doesn't know what it's doing uh, at the design of the engine and if you're going to buy a what we call a crate engine all right an engine in a box that comes to you all right the thing is that if you're not buying an oe crate engine from original manufacturer ford chrysler general general motors whatever if you're not buying an oe because they the domestic brands all have performance engines all right that's the only way to buy if you're buying it from some mail order catalog someplace at a hot rod magazine or a four-wheel drive magazine forget about it buddy i mean no disrespect i'm not saying you can't get a good one but it's it that's not what you want you so if you so if you don't want to do this then look to a manufacturer and and all of the ford performance gm performance um chrysler is well, what they used to call it years ago direct connection i think they call it mopar performance now they all have beautifully built cost-effective crate engines Right? older style and newer style all right so all the stamy all the carburet stuff Newer style be like a Ford Coyote or a GM LSX or a a newer Chrysler Hemi, and 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 you may say, well, I don't want that, and I want to I want to go to a car show and I want to open the hood. I don't want to see a newer Hemi in here I want to see an old 440 in there. Well, that's fine. That's your decision. I can't tell you, but your bang for the buck is going to be so much better with the newer engine than the old engine if you are strict. But if you're not looking for performance, but keep in mind that when you retrofit a newer style engine to an older style vehicle, that that brings its own set of problems with the motor mounts, with the positioning of things. If it's fuel injected, running an ECU or whatever. So you really have to identify your commitment to it, right? Your goals. And then you also have to recognize, depending upon what the use is, right? that everyone buys horsepower. Even you go to the farm tractor dealer, ah, that Case Steiger, 650, it says, on that fence got 600, All right, That John Deere's got whatever, 500 horsepower, right? You buy the industry, the community, people buy horsepower, but they drive torque. So if you have, the only time you're not really driving torque is if you have a dedicated drag race car it's very very light all right and you're using torque to leave the line and but you're really concerned with high rpm horsepower because horsepower remember does not exist a dynamometer registers torque and then it you mathematically convert horsepower from torque so it's torque times rpm divided by 5252 all right so that's the equation uh, excuse me torque times rpm divided by 5252 if i said that wrong all right but the thing is that so it's a mathematical equation because horsepower is how quickly an engine could do work and a simplistic definition of torque is how much work it could do. So if you say to me, I have this. So the first thing, not the first thing, I got a lot of firsts here, right? But once you get past the psychological part, now you, like I said, we're at the part where design the engine. You have to know what that vehicle weighs. What it weighs. So if you're trying, if if the vehicle weighs 7,000 pounds, let's say it's a pickup truck versus a 3,000-pound of 3500 pounds 73 plymouth duster well <clears throat> you need to build with a whole different set of rules all right even to accomplish the same goal if you have a very heavy vehicle it's going to need a lot more torque to get it moving and if you build a horsepower biased engine all right it's going to be a and you're going to drive it around town all right it's going to be a pig it's going to be a dog away from a traffic light can you get around that yes you can get around that by putting very very high numerical gears in it uh if it's an automatic you also put a loose torque converter with the high numerical gears all right and you could do that but then what's going to happen is that this thing is really going to be you know at 80 75 80 miles an hour on the highway she's going to be hanging a tongue out all right so you can't have it both ways especially at this level when you're building an engine you have to decide but if you have a vehicle so the first thing you need to do is get that vehicle weighed. i keep saying first thing get that vehicle weighed and then come up with a realistic plan for that and say all right this thing is lighter than I thought it was going to be it's heavier than I thought it's going to be if it's heavier than I thought than you thought it's going to be or she happens to be very heavy then you really better rethink your thought process and really make a lot of torque down low into the mid-range because otherwise it's going to be a pig all right Right, and if it's lighted, you say, "Well, I could transfer," but you still have that balance between torque and RPM. And you know, even like in a chainsaw, right? You have a chainsaw, and you're cutting into a log, and you got a good chain, you got a quick-cut chain, it's a sharp chain, and you're burying that sucker, right, into that log, and it happens to be a real hardwood. You're you're killing, you're dragging that motor down because that that chainsaw motor. May not have enough torque, especially my little steel MS one seventy. You are uh, like a lawn tractor. You get in a lawn tractor. You're cutting thick grass, right? Real heavy grass, and you and the thing is all shaking and everything, and you're you're lugging that motor down, right? Because it doesn't have enough torque. If it was very, if it had more torque, that chainsaw would go right through that log, all right. And not bog, so when you're bogging an engine at low speeds like that, or putting a load on it, that's because it's deficient on torque, and that is why on a vehicle, right, or a farm tractor or something, you would change and go to a lower gear because you would lose that torque multi. You would use that 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 multiplicative response of the gear ratios, the gear train to make up for the lack of torque, all right? So that's, so it all comes, so it has to be a very systematic approach. And then, because otherwise you're not going to, you're not gonna get the results that you want. You're gonna think you're gonna get the results. You're gonna get a sugar high. You're gonna spend a lot of money and you're gonna be disappointed. <clears throat> now, one person told me, "Well, what they're very concerned with is that the way the engine sounds going into a car show or a cruise night, they want they want this so Let me get a drink of water, which is cool. Every engine guy likes that, right? But keep in mind that that sound like I hear the, like the dragster. Here's a dragster. I'm gonna press the dragster. i to unscrew it." So all right you know we all know that sound right and i mean that's that's nitromethane so it's a little bit different but but the thing is that that sounds real cool right especially going into the cruise night all right but where you get that where the engine gets that is from the overlap of the camshaft and what overlap is defined as the length of time that in crankshaft rotational degrees That the cam that both valves are open, and why you have both valves open is because at higher engine speeds, you you have less event time to fill a cylinder, so it uses this siphoning effect. I'll leave it at that. Well, but there's you could look at a cam card and put a degree wheel on a on a on a on a camshaft in an engine. And it's center line to center line as far as the overlap of the lobe center, right? So if you say it's got 236 degrees, that's center to center. But anyway, the thing is that intake valve center line, exhaust valve center line. So So the fact of the matter is the amount of overlap but that only is part of the story. But everybody looks at it because the camshaft is a key to making the camshaft and the cylinder that are the key to making power in an engine all right airflow through the cylinder head camshaft the gatekeeper opening and closing the doors right the valves of the doors everything else is just to the carburetor fuel injection intake manifold design the headers the size of the board that's all to support those two so that's foundationally the camshaft and the cylinder heads all right but the thing is that there's a, a camshaft is a very complicated Design and we look at it just as a lobe. It's a polynomial curve. So you could have so much overlap, all right but at what rate is the ramp of the valves opening so it's i i it's it's way i mean people spend their whole life studying camshaft profiles so the thing is that when you choose the camshaft you have to work with your engine shop wherever you're doing or if you're doing this yourself you're just buying the machine work and putting it there nothing wrong with that at all but you have to talk to the cam company because they've spent literally millions of dollars and specifically today because the camshafts today are like a iphone compared to a uh, uh, smoke signals that the indians sent many many years ago i'm not even going to say a rotary dial phone or a telegraph all right because the camshaft design also as i said in the beginning the show due to something called the spintron and engine sim it's just completely different so if you have an older style engine an old engine an old ford an old chevy all right you're going to really benefit even if you're not looking to make it a, a true true hot rod but you're going to really benefit by using a modern camshaft design from one of the major cam companies and they have they, they've they developed all of this they've tested it and that's really where your power and your cylinder head your airflow is going to come from but you need to balance this out but historically when you start to tighten up the the the, the uh the lobe separation angle so in other words the amount of rotational degrees so if you have a cam that has 120 degrees lobe separation angle versus one that has a 110 degrees lobe separation angle Given everything being almost the same as far as the cam, but it's never the same because when once you change that geometry, you're changing everything. You cannot achieve the same, the same ramp with by changing. People, oh, I did this, but just change the lobe separation angle. They did that, but these other things got screwed up. in my language along the way. All right. So the thing is that the engine with the 110 degrees lobe separation angle is going to have a in theory, a choppier idle. Blah, 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 blah. And remember, if you have a properly tuned engine and you built an engine, a performance engine, because it has overlap at a cam, that you just hear the different combustion events. That should still not have a lot of dynamics or shaking. and <collaborated> should sound nice like that, nice and clean. Not where the carburetor is all messed up with a fuel injection. But the thing is that the lower that number, all right uh the more overlap you're going to have then the thing uh you're going to push the that the peak torque up higher in the rpm range and you're going to sacrifice power downstairs so the thing basically is as i get ready to close is that there's a number of people that reached out to me in the past couple of weeks uh, like i said i was joking it's, it's time to build engines you have to be realistic you have to set your goals financially you have to set your level of commitment all right unless you have a ton of money and then you could just go to the best of the best and say take care of this but if you're going to be doing this something yourself or you're going to take a farm tractor and you're going to say i want to start to do pulling with this tractor and what have you and i want to tweak this engine a little bit there's no right or wrong with this but there is a right or wrong because if you build, so it would be analogous to raising corn. And I said this before on the show: going to town and buying a combine, great, and coming home with a, with a bean head, with a small grain head. Say, look at my new combine. Look at my new head for the combine. Beautiful. I got top of the line here. I got a Fendt Ideal combine, right? And the thing basically is, is that if you do, well, you say, well, how are we gonna, how am I gonna harvest? How are you gonna harvest the corn? You got the wrong grain head. you got the right combine but the wrong grain in so the thing basically is, is that you can't just get into this all right and and try to that because like so many things in life we're all guilty of it i'm guilty of it you're guilty of it in different aspects because you we think it works a certain way and i don't care whether that's an engine whether growing a crop whether it's coming to your lord and savior well, god sends everybody to everybody goes to heaven i hate to tell you this everybody doesn't go to heaven all right no matter what you want to think no matter what you like the scriptures make very clear that those that have repented for their sins and accepted christ will have eternal life because that guy was really nice down the street or your parent or your brother are always really nice that doesn't mean they're not going to heaven all right It also does not mean that you have to know that they accepted Christ. They may have accepted Christ on their deathbed, all right? Because you're not cognizant of it doesn't mean that they're not in heaven, all right? All right, so the thing is that you may not know it, but the fact of the matter is it's the same thing because you think it works this way because you want it to work this way does not mean that it happens that way. But you need to have a game plan to build an engine when you're rebuilding an engine you need to identify what is being done and all of those parts need to be changed be changed consumed they're consumable or re-machined and if you don't want to do all of this or the shop you want to work with you know and just because you if you have a shop and i'm going to say it whatever kindly because it's truthful and i am being kind and it's no disrespect if you have a guy who rebuilt uh tractor engines all his life and just re-rung him and rang a dingleberry hone in there. He may do a good job of doing that, but that's not a good rebuild. You know, it's like like a mechanic who uses a crescent wrench on everything. I mean, he got the bolt out, he got the the car fixed with the crescent wrench, he rounded everything off, but it's really not. And the thing is that most people, from what I have seen, do not have the palate for what truly the expenses, the commitment for what needs to be done and I'm repeating again, it does not mean that they don't have the finances or that doesn't mean they don't have the level of intelligence or mechanical ability. They do not want to make a commitment to it. And the thing is that, well, they may not have those things. That's up to you. But the important thing is I don't want you as a listener, even if you're not a listener (laughs) to the show, I don't want you to spend a lot of money on something and come away very very disappointed with marginal marginal results of even that and you spent a lot of money over over that that's like i said that's that's not going to make your day because you know and when i and i may have told you this before when i bought all new farm equipment back in 2016 that winter i drove thousands of miles to talk to people do my due diligence look at the plant whatever and because I had made the mistake, right? I bought a bunch of farm equipment about ten well I don't well when it was. Well it was my father was still let's say fifteen years earlier, right? And I and I listened to the salesman. I didn't know what I knew now and I bought everything and paid good money for it and it was junk. That's really what it was. It was junk. It didn't. It, it wasn't what I needed it to be. It wasn't what I expected to be. I thought because it was new, I was all wrong. I didn't apply my own medicine as far as that's concerned. I wasn't that dynamically involved in agriculture as I am now. But whatever. All right. And it's no fun buying it twice. No fun. And buying it the third and fourth time certainly is make. It gives. You, it makes you want to get give up engines and farming or whatever and take up golf all right so are we all going to make mistakes yeah all right but you want to limit your mistakes you want to get it to the level that it, as best as you can right from the beginning realistically you want to look at area under the curve on a dino sheet to identify what your goals are I want mean, you to identify your goals and it's no fun buying it twice just like a no farmer wants to replant all right it's no fun buying it twice And if you don't do your due diligence, if you don't do your homework, and your homework is being familiar, being comfortable with the shop, getting comfortable with the with with the people you're dealing with, all right. Even if you're assembling it yourself, you still need to have someone do machine work. So the fact of the matter is, is that you know if you take the easy path out, then eh, maybe maybe you'll come out okay, and maybe but the chances are of you coming out the way you want to be with this is slim 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 to none he would be like a guy going into the field put no fertility down doing anything and coming out and saying and being a high yield farmer well the like it's not impossible but the likelihood so hopefully anybody who's in the audience thinking about rebuilding an engine remember that's a tired engine you want to keep it in service right? or building an engine means you're looking to change its performance characteristics make more power to what level 10 more horsepower or a thousand more horsepower all right the thing basically is is that 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 you have to be realistic and do you repeating it and if not i don't want you wasting your money and if you don't want to do that then either buy a crate engine, uh, high-performance crate engine from one of the car companies. Then again, you'll have fitment problems, fitment issues with that, or just be happy with what you got, or sell a vehicle and buy what you want. So, in other words, if for instance, like I did the last week on the show, the 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 Raptor, seven hundred horsepower. All right, that was a that's a beautiful truck. That truck was one hundred ten thousand dollars. All right, one hundred twelve thousand. But I think it's three thousand for the moonroof, which you don't need. So you take that off. Say it's a one hundred ten thousand dollar truck. That's a brand new twenty twenty three truck. All right, you cannot build a seven hundred horsepower. F one hundred F one fifty, whatever you want to call it, Chevy Silverado, the Dodge Challenger. All right, Challenge, Dodge has the, what well, the a thousand twenty five horsepower. I think it's well the dealers are ripping the people off, but I think it's a one hundred fifty thousand. All right, Ford has a Mustang. All right, you go to the showroom, four hundred eighty horsepower for for, for thirty five thousand dollars with a whole car. You can't build that on an engine, let alone with a car. I mean, so the thing is that, and I've told many people over the years, look, you got the wrong vehicle. You have those desires. Go buy it. I mean, somebody wants to build a 5, 6, 700-horsepower pickup truck and do everything. You could never, ever build that I'm using the Raptor, all right? You could never build that Raptor for what they thought is charging for it. Talk two to three times the price if it works out well, all right? So if you want a 700-horsepower pickup truck, go buy a new Raptor it'll work out cheaper at the end, and you'll be able to drive it. You want a 650, 700 horsepower a car? Then go buy a new Mustang, or go buy a new Camaro before they start making it, or a new Challenger, or go buy a Cadillac. you buy that, that Blackwing Cadillac. has got 700, 650, 700 horsepower. Buy it for 100. It seems like a lot of money, but it's nothing compared to, you can, there's not a performance car or truck out there that you could build so i want a 69 chevelle well if you want a 69 chevelle that's fine i can't tell you what you want all right but if you want a 69 chevelle that's that 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 performs half as well as a as a new camaro forget about it you're not even getting that for three hundred thousand dollars all right so that's the reality of it you decide there's no right there's no wrong but what you need to do is you need to get into this and be happy with the end results because you don't want to do it two to th- and And sadly, you know, lots of guys that came to my shop when I had it, I was the third or fourth stop. They did this three or four times. And I'm not two my own horn. They were lucky if they only did it once and they came to me. And, and I said this is not going to work this is what you got to do but they went two to three four times and sometimes a fourth time they came to me and and that's no fun it's like getting in the field and planting four times so listen different type of show today right we'll get back into more grassroots stuff in uh next week but i want to thank you so much for listening and know that the hot rod farmers boom for you the American farmer and rancher, and for the people, remember: rebuild, build an engine. Two different things. Okay, enjoy.